The late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There are stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all wrong? What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Commons People, the HuffPost politics podcast. I'm Ned Simons. Owen has already given up and gone away for Christmas. But I'm joined by Rachel Wearmouth. Hi, Rachel. Hi. And Paul Wall. Hello. And Graham Demonick. Hi, Graham. Hello. Over from America. Yes. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good, <laughs> say, to, be, good to be back. Say something American Uh Yo, how are, <laughs> how are you all? Is <laughs> that, that about right? Yeah, that's great. We've missed him. So we weren't going to have an easy kind of slide into Christmas, were we? Like we thought we would, but obviously not. Um, last night, Theresa May fired her closest and perhaps only ally in the cabinet, Damien Green, after he was found to have misled the public about having porn on his computer. Um, here's Jeremy Hunt, the health secretary, on the Today programme this morning, kind of ditching any pretense that he resigned. I think that is clear, sadly, from uh, the letters that were exchanged. Um, but I think that doesn't mean that it isn't a very, very sad moment for those of us who are colleagues of Damien, who know what a highly capable minister he was, uh, how committed he was throughout his whole career to the most vulnerable people in society. Um, but clearly he did something that uh, was a breach of the ministerial code, and that's why Theresa May took the very difficult decision that she did. So, green sacking, does it, is it a sign of May's strength or a sign of her weakness, Paul? Well, I, I think personally it, show, it shows how relative politics is. She's got relative strength compared to those around her. In other words, she is the prime minister. She's the first amongst equals. And relatively speaking, no one yet wants to take her on. No one wants to take her out in the Tory party. And that fact alone means that she's relatively stronger than the rest of her cabinet. Because there is no one else as an option right now. So it's And it's all very time limited. Right now, I think that, yes... Um, she can survive this resignation precisely because she's got to a good place as far as her party's concerned on Brexit, as we all know. Getting past phase one was really important. If you'd had these three cabinet resignations in September, I think things could have been really, really tricky. I mean, you know, straight after that awful conference speech and performance and and with Grant Chaps, but not just Grant Chaps that stress, some other people, including ministers, worried about where Theresa May was taking the party. Um, if these resignations had all happened in September then she wouldn't have been in a strong position at all. And who knows what would happen. And do you think there's a, a kind of um, she almost was helped out by the fact that because he was found to have lied, that she kind of had no choice but to fire him? Oh, yeah. I'm I mean, interested to see what would have happened if it was just the allegations from Kate Maltby about the kind of harassment side where there wasn't a kind of open and shut case of, you know, you broke the ministerial code by lying. Would would she have fired him then, or do you think she would have just... Well, I think that's one of the most interesting things about this, which is this new test. Mm. Thanks to Harvey Weinstein, the whole of 
the Western world is now gripped by a problem that's been going on for ages, which is sexual harassment and, you know, and men abusing their power. And what was really interesting in, in the Cabinet Office report was this line that they found Kate Maltby's claims to be plausible. Now, this isn't a court of law. Mm. You know, this is the court of public opinion. So that really matters. And I don't think that Theresa May, even if the porn stuff, if Damon Green hadn't lied about mm. what he did and didn't know about the porn on his computer, if, if you park that, if this report had just said, look, her case is plausible, but we, we, you know, you can't obviously decide what happened in a private yeah. meeting. Then that would have been so damaging, mm. and I think he would have failed the new test, which is the uncomfortableness test set by Theresa May and Andrea Leadsom, and which is, was the test that got rid of Michael Fallon. And do we think he's going to be replaced, Rachel, at all? I mean, Damon Green was first Secretary of State, basically Deputy Prime Minister. There's people now saying Jeremy Hunt could get the job or Michael Gove could get the job. Well, he tried to back away from it this morning on the Today programme, yeah. didn't he, Jeremy Hunt? He kind of said, oh, I'm, I'm a health man, period. <laughs> I it was a bit different than his kind of position, which was my last big job in politics ever, which he said before he yeah. then sort of tipped his hat running for leader or something. Well, I think what, while Theresa May might get credit for um, if she has indeed kind of acted on these claims of sexual harassment, she'll get credit for that because it's very kind of an on-brand... Theresa May thing to do and um, but I also kind of think that um, she needs another ally at the table like Mm. because for example she didn't sack Boris did she and she obviously feels like she's not in um, a powerful enough position to um, even though he said things like he's joked about dead Libyans and he's done all kinds that should have got him sacked (laughs) really Um, so she's obviously not in a very powerful position. Is it a bit of, isn't it a bit of a made-up position though, as well, like first secretary of yeah. state? I mean, it's a kind of, you know, we c- we're going to call it effectively deputy prime minister, and that in itself isn't really much of a much much of a job. It's just a, you know, throughout the Blair years, it was just a kind of convenient position to have Prescott there, so he, you know, he was a he was a kind of the kind of working class alternative to yeah the conscience to, to, to of the Blair. Part, yeah. So it, it play it plays a role, but it's like it's not as if. The world's going to start falling apart because we haven't got a first sector of state, and right? that and that that's an important point that both you and Rachel have made, which is what does why could she sack Damien Green rather than Boris? And the, the simple answer is first, not a lot of people even know who the hell Damien Green is. I mean, the poor guy is going to go down in history now as the guy who had a bit of dodgy porn on his computer, you know, um, and may have touched some girl's leg. That people aren't sure, but those who have heard of him know him now for that. Whereas Boris has. It brings with him, even though he's had much greater sins, like, you know, almost lengthening the sentence of a a British national in Iran. um, Boris carries with him a huge chunk of the Tory party, whereas Damon Green does not. Let's be frank. He's 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 certainly much an avid Remainer and represents that wing of the Tory party. But he hasn't got a huge number of friends in high places in government other than the prime minister. And I, I think that's really, really important. I thought it was interesting looking at, it was PMQs yesterday, obviously, and she was sat next to Damien Green, knowing that she was about to fire him. Yeah. Um, but I thought she had quite a good Prime Minister's question. I don't know if people agree it, with me or it was, not. But. It was the first one, because I'm usually based in New York, and a five-hour time difference, so I'm not going to get up early to watch Prime oh, Minister's Where's your cut? Come on. Um, <laughs> so it's the first time being back in the UK that I've actually seen it live for, and not through the kind of trying to reverse engineer it from what you've seen on Twitter yeah. or from social media. So actually see PMQs for half an hour was was, was quite interesting. And A, I, I was reminded how deathly dull it can be for large <laughs> sections of it beyond the kind of nice sort of shareable moments. And there, there was a couple yesterday as well, particularly that picture of 
Theresa May's grinning at the cameras after a very good answer. But I was surprised how good Theresa May was. And I wasn't sure whether that was she was she was robust. She seemed to kind of not necessarily knock it out of the park, but she seemed to um, be, be be a lot more lot stronger than she has appeared, certainly in the headlines in recent weeks and from what I would have thought from previous PMQs. So she seemed to be have been emboldened by 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 recent well I recent think, don't you think it's a bit like football I mean poli- front rank politicians are like football strikers it's a confidence game if you've got your confidence and you're scoring goals and you're beginning to and you're breaking broken this goal drought as she has then your confidence is back um, but whereas a few weeks ago she wasn't knocking anything in and Corbyn was the one scoring and, and politics is a lot about confidence I think that really helped her this week yeah I was going to say I thought the, int- the interesting thing now is you've kind of had this peeling away of layers so you've got Fiona Hill and Nick Timothy have both gone, both very close allies to her. Um, Damien Green's now gone. And I think um, her kind of New Year political interview will be really interesting because she has to kind of go back to that steps of down in street speech and talk about these burning injustices. She has to be about something else. And I think there's a lot of pressure on her in the new year. But that's why I think she can dispense with Green, although she's known him for a long, long time and, and likes him and relies on him. Don't forget what I think she's managed to do in the last few few months is create a brand new inner circle. And Gavin Barwell, the former MP who lost his seat in the election, um, is a chief of staff. He, as far as I understand it, um, was one of the driving forces behind getting rid of Green, saying, look, th- this is just not you. It's not the kind of person you are having this around. We've got to kill it. Being quite ruthless. Um, Gavin Williamson, another key uh, person around her, had a very similar opinion. But also there's... Uh, Robbie Gibb, who's her chief of strategy and communications, a former BPC guy. And they are a, a very tight knit inner sanctum for her. And so she's got rid of Green. He's no longer there. And that's that's a problem for her. But she still has a, a quite loyal inner team. And I think that matters a lot. Can I make a plug for our colleague Owen Bennett's feature? <laughs> Absolutely on, not. Uh, I know. <laughs> no. I know yeah. Cut this bit out. Um, <laughs> on Michael Gove yes. and how Michael Gove is saving the Tory party on the basis of his newfound, or the party's newfound, love of animals. And in that piece, he makes that that that, that point that this new inner circle of Gibb and Williamson have been very, um, um, Gibb and Barwell have been very um, strong on pushing this message of the Tories being the party of, of, of animal welfare. Mm. So clearly there's, as you say, Nick Timothy and Fiona Hill have gone, there's new people around her. She seems emboldened after Brexit. They've got kind of yeah. other things, more kind of consumery animal things to offer. Um, you know, it's a long way back to <laughs> the polls and there's a lot to yeah. recover from. But, but, to, but, but on the, on, uh, on the you say day. that, but, you know, the polls put them sure. one point ahead the other mm, week. And true. don't forget this. There is definitely a new, as I say, it's about confidence. There's a new sense that the Tories are on the front foot now. So they're taking the fight to Labour on online in a way they got trashed in the general election. They're slowly getting their act together when it comes to viral videos from PMQs, when it comes to things like animal sentience hitting back. And that's why the Go thing really matters. And we had, um, and David, Gork, we had David Gork, who's working pension secretary, who's now, he, you know, told HuffPost, you know, that he's much more punchy, deliberate punchiness on Twitter of kind of he's had this big Twitter row with Frank Field over universal credit, a deliberate strategy to kind of attack the, the hard left, as he would call it. So it's interesting they decided to be, we're going to try and get confidence by being confident. Yeah. I'm now going to do a quiz. Oh. And it's out of the Owen Bennett playbook of being quite shoddy. We won't want anything more. So yeah. what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you out some parts of cabinet minister resignation statements 
Ooh. And I want you to tell me who it is. Oh. And Rachel, you can't look at my screen because you're definitely oh. sat near me. <laughs> so here you go. This is the first one. I want to remove myself from the countless stories of controversy, feuds and divisions and all the rest. All the other stories that have surrounded me. I want, in other words, to lead a more normal life, both in politics, in the future and outside. This is British cabinet, is it? British cabinet minister. And all is British. This, is there a kind of time scale? Is it like... Uh, last government? 30 years. <laughs> right, okay. Right. All the rest sounds so a bit... All the that rest. language sounds a bit kind of glib and... All the modern. rest. Who could that be? To live a normal life. Um, is it... That seems like a sex... Maybe it is Michael Gove. Yeah. Okay, Paul says Michael Gove. I can't... Uh, IDS? <laughs> Rachel? Gosh, I have no idea. Um, I'll, I'll pinch Paul's idea and say Michael Gove. <laughs> Mandelson. Uh, in 2001, yeah. over there, yeah. Hindu yeah. Brothers. <clears throat> Uh, okay, yeah. all the rest is quite... Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's his second resignation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's quite an achievement. Okay, this is number two. I mistakenly allowed the distinction between my personal interest and my government activities to become blurred. The consequences of this have become clearer in recent days. Liam Fox. Ooh, Ooh Rachel says Fox. Good Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> no hesitation. I like that. I, I could be wrong. <laughs> I'm projecting confidence. Like, yeah. 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 Full gawk. You've gone with the... Yeah. I can't, I can't think beyond Liam Fox now. No, no, Rachel That's said that. That's really good. Yeah, I'm going to go Fox. Yeah, Liam Fox. Oh, hey! Well done, Rachel. <laughs> you can see his screen, can't you? Yeah. <laughs> I need to make the font smaller so she can't. She hasn't got her specs on. It's okay. Right. And number three. I owe it to our party to say what I believe, no matter how hard that may be. I now believe your continued leadership makes a conservative victory more, not less likely. Ooh. Oh, it's a is that oh, I th- that feels like a leader's resignation. It feels more, like more, not I- less likely. IDS. Mm. Of okay. Time right. Graham says IDS. I've taken your first answer. Well, it's, it's, like, not, it's certainly not. not <laughs> it's not Heseltine, that's for sure, is it? Um, oh God. I keep saying IDS like I know him. <laughs> 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 oh, Ian, just your mate. <laughs> Ah, crikey. Ah, ah, how about George Osborne? Okay, Paul says Osborne. IDS. Uh, James Purnell. Oh. 2009, when he tried to get rid of Gordon Brown and it didn't work. Okay, I'll give you one more. Um, It's been a huge chunk of my life doing this, and it's not easy, perhaps, when you feel a degree of ownership of something to let it go. Ooh. It's in sadness, sadness. not in anger, that isn't it? It's just the way I see acting. I've been doing, yeah, yeah, it's good. (laughs) I'll I'll get into sadness, but in Ned's eyes, yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's not my resignation, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Ned. Oh, gosh, who could that be? God, Mm. quickly, William Haig. Uh, okay, Paul says Haig. Um, mind you, you can say IDS again. Okay, he retired, didn't he? (laughs) Rachel, um, pass. I don't know. Nigel Farage in 2016. <laughs> Brilliant. There we go. That's a quiz. That's yeah, right. a quiz. Um, let's talk about Brexit. Phase two. Everyone really excited for phase yeah, two of Brexit? Oh, we're all up for it, aren't we? Um, so talks now are going to move to phase two in the new year on the transition deal and kind of the eventual outcome of what we get. The cabinet had their first discussion ever, apparently, this week about what they actually want to achieve. Um, does losing Damien Green shift the balance in the cabinet on the Remainy side and the Brexit side? Does it make any difference at all? 
what, what happened to all these briefings that Michael Gove would be very good for the job of uh, First Secretary of State? <laughs> <laughs> well, he certainly made himself uh, uh, heard in both yeah. the Cabinet Subcommittee on Monday and the full Cabinet on Tuesday, which discussed you know, the so-called end state for Brexit. And I was told... on. Um, Keen-eyed readers will have noticed in today's war zone. There's a reference to this that someone in the cabinet told me Gove has got this this trick, a debating trick he does in cabinet. So he'll wait for everybody else to say their piece, and then he'll pronounce with a, a, a sort of pithy, um, sometimes pithy, but some sometimes quite pointed uh, attack on Remainers. Uh, almost passive-aggressive stuff, but it would be beautifully crafted, mm. and he'll have the last word and leave it there, and then and then and it's as if he's summed up the meeting. Right. <laughs> but what happened on Tuesday was that he um, Amber Rudd got wise to this tactic. She she let him wait right near the end and do his thing and have a pop at Philip Hammond. Then she came in <laughs> and she had the last word and she had a pointed reference to the, some of the Brexiteers' this problems. Gonna, this is going to end up with story. all the, the sitting in silence. <laughs> I know. Like, for, just to try and out kind of do each other. <laughs> but That's it's fascinating, amazing. isn't it? This and is what happens when you get two journalists in a... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, working to the deadline. But um, I think what's interesting is that, yeah, they are finally talking about what sort of Brexit they want. There's a long way to go, don't mm. forget. Um, in terms of the, the actual process. But as Barnier pointed out this week, you know, the clock is ticking. Um, Theresa May is almost certainly going to have to make a, quotes big speech by March time to, to get things mm. moved on to the next phase. And the next few cabinet me- meetings are where the real nitty gritty will happen. They're all uniting around this idea of a bespoke Brexit, which is so bespoke it's meaningless because you know as as the eu pointed out you know every single trade deal is by by nature bespoke every country's mm. got different industries and sectors that it, it really uh, favors so the word bespoke is a bit misleading the question is whether or not we can get a comprehensive massive trade deal that covers everything or whether we'll just be reduced to really basic rump and- style canada style deal you wrote a story paul didn't you about the kind of the graphic that uh barnett had show, shown eu leaders that kind of quite neatly showed how an fta is where we're going to end up where if that's what we're going to get we're not going to get some sort of single market type situation are we it's going to be a, a, a canada model well the thing like, is, is that, that, is that right? i was talking to someone in the cabinet and they said actually there's, there's all these acronyms go around is it canada yeah. plus 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 <laughs> is it norway minus um and they said well actually I know it sounds mad, but Canada plus, 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 plus isn't that far from Norway minus, minus, <laughs> minus, minus. And, and basically, we'll end up somewhere near Iceland. Um, right. and, and nice place, yeah, Iceland. You know, yeah. Good at football. The fact is that I think, I mean, Rupert Harrison, who used to be George Osborne's advisor, put it well uh, a couple of weeks ago where he said he f- felt that the most likely outcome is that we'll lose a little bit of trade in return for a little bit more control over migration. Mm. That really... It seems to be where the cabinet wants to head. The question is whether or not Brussels allows even that yeah. little bit. One thing that happened this week was we we're all kind of getting ready for this big crunch vote on the EU bill, which was the putting into the law that the exit date would be March, you know, end of March 2019. Ended up being a bit of a damp squib, obviously, because yeah. the government conceded and accepted an amendment that allowed a bit of wiggle room. But um, what it did expose that debate was kind of Labour's division. I'm just going to play you a clip. This is Kate Hoey um, having a massive spat with Labour Remain backbenchers about her position. To actually, to actually then allow more time, and then all that time we're paying in more and more money. I mean, I have a, I have a problem even. 
You may think I'm talking absolute nonsense. I think there's a lot of there's 17 and a half million people out there who don't think I'm thinking nonsense. So where are we now with Labour? I mean, they're split down the middle in a sense. You had 60 MPs, I think, voted against Corbyn's uh, orders last night. 62, on 62. So yeah, saying, you know, that was the vote about should we stay in the customs union or not. Can Labour kind of carry on just having no concrete position for a while? Is that sustainable? Well, it's working in a way mm. because, um, the, the, you know, constructive ambiguity, that yeah. David Davis phrase, is actually helping Labour. Because Labour's massive problem is obviously, as we all know, it's got some real leave voting areas and some real remain voting areas. But overwhelmingly, like 85% of party members are very, very pro-remain. Um, so it's got to somehow square the circle of all that yeah. stuff. And um, I pointed out that actually there was a poll in the Times Higher education supplement yesterday, which showed that amongst students, 55% of students think that Labour's official policy on Brexit is to stay in the EU. <laughs> right. 55%. These are students, right? Well-educated yeah. people. 32% think that actually Labour's official policy is to stay in the, Euro- in the single market and customs union. Again, that's not the position. It, yeah. it may turn into that position, but it just shows that so far, Labour's managed to con quite a few people <laughs> into thinking, actually, we are quite pro, pro-EU, and, uh, and to, yeah, at the same time, say to people, well, but we're still quite hard on migration. <laughs> um, you. It's not sustainable, a- though, is it, surely? No, I can probably answer my, uh, answer my own question, but uh, Ned, you've written kind of, a bit on what what Labour's kind of position is, and try to explain it to to our readers. And is it yeah. is this kind of constructive ambiguity? Is that kind of is it a work of genius, or is it or is it just a kind of thing that's happened by accident? And I'm it, not and sure. It, I think they're kind of like, and it proved to be particularly helpful. Well, the, sto- the story will become that they're not being honest about it, you know, right. and that's where. But the then, focus does it matter? If people don't know that, and the fact that they kind of all they seem to be doing is just staying a little bit more remaining than whatever the government position is, so they can still look like to, as Paul says, the students, people who think they're very pro EU, like they're more pro EU having a you know they just keep moving the line a little bit and also what they can then do is claim they pushed the conservative government into a more remaining position i mean corbyn did that in pmqs saying that um, the government accepted a transition deal because of labor's position which isn't really perhaps the case <laughs> but if the government moves corbyn can just claim credit for right that, and whenever sort of a shadow minister is asked about it they'll just kind of say oh like really pressed on it they'll say well we're not the government yeah, but you say, just yeah. aspire to be the government and yeah, you should show a bit of leadership you're yeah. right and i think that is understandable their line at the moment every one of them says well we're not doing the negotiations but that's not good enough but, yeah what if you were suddenly but, doing the negotiations you have to come up with an advocate answer. though in that sense they're not going to be doing the negotiations i can't say the word negotiations <laughs> assuming there's no well, election, you there's well, election well, in the spring, assuming, they might. assuming there's no election until 2022 they don't have to actually have a position on it ever by yeah. the time there's an election, it's all over. But I think you you have to follow through. If you say you're a government in waiting, and that's the phrase they're all using, mm. you've got to have a position on this. And to be fair to them, I think under Keir Starmer, they've, they've gradually got to a position where, it, you know, Tom Watson even said at the weekend that actually the priority is jobs over migration. And, you know, he's he's in a working class constituency in the West Midlands where a lot of those West Midlands seats, people were voting leave. He, more than anyone else, knows the problems yeah. for Labour. Uh, and yet he has 
now, I mean, on the record and off the record, saying that Labour are going to be the party of soft Brexit. I think the, the best part of their position, which is their position now, is to be an A single market, not the single market, and A customs union, not the customs union, Something which is very exist. easy to say in interviews, but they haven't actually explained what that means. Graham, you're in our New York office. Yes. Do Americans care about Brexit at all? Um, I, I, I think if anyone's kind of aware of Brexit now, they would kind of think it's probably happened already. Like, right. <laughs> that the referendum was it and then we kind of came out. And that's probably right. as much as people's understanding of it. And they might periodically be reminded of it when somebody like Nigel Farage appears on Fox News and he's billed as you know leader of the Brexit mm. leader of the Brexit campaign or something something very grand and something very not quite accurate <laughs> about his role in yeah. role in everything so that so they don't obviously because they have their own issues going on there they don't hmm. give it much thought but it but America is is going to be a key aspect to Britain's kind of post Brexit success getting a trade deal with America is is kind of you know, this is it. This is the kind of the promised land, isn't it? You know, this is we can strike out on our own and have deals with the US. And I think the kind of worrying aspect for us on a couple of points for, for Britain on a couple of points is a th- th- there's not not been much talk since the vote amongst senators who might be kind of favourable to the to the US. There was a there was a couple of um, kind of um, minor senators who were talking about having a some kind of bill, some kind of piece of legislation that 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 notionally kind of established the special relationship in right. Right. in in the statute. But that that's kind of kind of kind of kind of disappeared. Another problem is that even if Trump did want to do a trade deal with the U with, with the UK, which he he says every time when prompted he wants a big open trade beautiful deal. Beautiful trade deal. <laughs> beautiful trade deal. Is that he can't actually get very much done that he really wants to get done in in America, mm. be that healthcare reform. The only legislative success he's had is is this kind of tax cut for the rich that's literally just happened mm. in the last in the last week or so. So if this is going to be, it's not going to be a huge priority for him, even though kind of bilateral deals is probably more favourable to how Trump sees the world. Oh, he wants to get out of the kind of North American free trade mm. agreement because that's a bit more of a kind of mm. EUE type thing. So while it might on paper seem like a prospect, I'm not quite sure yeah. if it's going to be easy to deliver. There's a really interesting story circulating today, I think it was in the eye, um, that, that kind of talked about um, complete secrecy between um, the UK and the yeah. US. And mm. I think that's a, it's a big issue going forward is how open yeah. the UK government's going to be about Definitely. And also, deals it's, it's, then don't forget, this is the only real reason, well, apart from security and historic ties, but it's the real reason Theresa May has been trying desperately not to irritate Donald Trump and to be close to Donald Trump is because of US-UK trade post-Brexit. It's the, it's the number one driving factor that sent her out to Washington last year. It's the reason she's even invited him for a state visit um, and the working visit is due sometime in February. Um, you know, the reason she's doing all that is pure money. It money talks. It's, it's a desperation almost to say, look, in the post-Brexit world, we need all the friends we've got. Here's one of our, the biggest country in the world, the biggest economy in the world. Why don't we exploit the links we've got? Now, the big problem with that, I think, is despite everything Trump says about how he likes the idea, 
he how it contradicts directly his inauguration pitch, which is America first. You can't have America first and then actually we'll do lots of deals, special deals with our well, friends, you, you the could, Brits. You could do a trade deal, it just won't be very good for us. <laughs> exactly. So, you know. America might come first, as well. we've seen with Bombardier in Northern Ireland. You know, America comes first a lot. Mm. Well, and and the, if it means chlorine washed chickens or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God. Well, on that tasty note, I guess this is our last podcast for the Christmas break. So I've asked everyone what their highlight of the year is Rachel I've been a bit of a crazy one but do you ever um well I, I guess a lot of people would say the exit poll um yes but you're not allowed to um, say the exit poll <laughs> right um uh Bex Bailey coming right. forward and revealing um the that she was raped and that her party basically told her to do nothing yeah. about it I thought that really changed the conversation because the whole sexual harassment um scandal was kind of just being brushed aside mm. as not very serious before that and then I kind of th- thought she brought everything right to the heart of power um, and, and was very critical of her own party in it and I thought, I thought it was great Graham? Um, I was going to say Tim Farron saying smell, smell my spaniel <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I feel like I could brought <laughs> down the conversation <laughs> yeah. a bit um, but I actually um, I've been from a kind of based in America perspective seeing Jeremy Corbyn being hailed as as an icon of the left in America, and um, you know the the election success, I suppose we can we can call it that relative success. He just being, did an air quote. Be, yeah, <laughs> being 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 hailed by kind of leftists in the US as proof of concept that that left lefties can win, mm. and Bernie would have won against Trump. Yeah, just seeing that has been quite a highlight for me to see Corbyn mania spread to the US. Mm. I I think for me, I mean. Um, Curiously, one of the things we we didn't mention about Damon Green was, you know, every prime minister likes to to have someone at, at their right hand who almost like an, an Alexa Christmas present. And so she would say, you know, Alexa, i.e. Green, um, can you sort out Brexit for me with Sturgeon? Or Alexa, can you sort out um, how I'm going to implement my manifesto? You know, prime ministers like these right hand men. Yeah. What's interesting is that Corbyn has quite a few people around him. But he doesn't have anyone like that, really. I mean, John, you know, John McDonnell, maybe he'll, he'll delegate some things to Diane Abbott. But ultimately, Jeremy Corbyn is a one-man band in terms of his own brand. Mm. And he is everything. And there is no deputy as such. Yeah, Emily Thornby stands in at PMQs, but it's all about Corbyn. And to follow up on Graham's point, the highlight for me this year, or you might even call it a low light, the most significant thing in the year, I think, in British politics uh, from my point of view, was the way Corbyn, in the middle of the general election campaign, three days after all election campaigning was suspended because of the Manchester terror attack, got up and made a speech about foreign policy and got away with it. Not just got away with it, he made a credible case of saying, actually, this shows there's something really wrong with our foreign policy, which is ultimately has a link to terror at home. There's also, more importantly austerity which means that the police haven't got enough resources to prevent this kind of thing and in that moment that would never have happened in any previous generation that i'm aware of Mm. he would have been hammered as being well you're pro ira you're pro terrorist it didn't happen the conversation he'd managed somehow to shift the national conversation and he shifted it onto his own territory which is what elections are about and that austerity narrative 
um, the fact that people are fatigued, they want a change, helped Labour increase its yeah. seats and denied May the majority. And I thought in the context of everything we've done this year, the terror being really important, I thought that was quite a brave thing to do. Some people think it's still foolhardy because obviously there are some working class voters who really don't like that and Labour yeah. will have a problem. But I do think... As a moment in the year, that was quite significant. And it's something Theresa May acknowledged at her conference, wasn't it, that Corbyn shifted the narrative. Yeah. Um, so it, that's that's right. Um, you mentioned but, Emily Thornberry there. I think we're going to leave on, which isn't kind of the highlight of the year, but I think it was a moment on election night that summed up what was going on. Uh, this is Emily Thornberry talking to David Dimbleby. So not a coalition of chaos, just chaos. Uh, have you been asking any Tory MPs whether, given the situation they're now in, that they may be in the position whereby they're ha heading for a coalition of chaos. Well, no, they all say they're going to have a majority. Well, there we are. <laughs> the late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There are stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all wrong? What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts.